0: Grab your Bibles. We're going to be blessed this morning by uh, Pastor Bob. Bob Bonner and his wife Becky now attend here, but they spent about 40,000 years ministering in this community. Um, uh, I say that in all all respect and honor. Now, uh, Bob pastored over at Calvary Crossroads for so long and has touched so many lives, him and Becky both. You guys are like, um, you're like the most energetic... Retired people. I mean, I don't even think you can say you're retired. You guys just do ministry all I'm the time. I'm just tired. You're just tired. <laughs> retired and retired. Anyways, um, yeah. So Bob's gonna open the word for us this morning, and sure. yeah, yeah. Take it away. I'm gonna get out of your uh, get out of your way. Well, why, why don't we start this right and pray, okay? Because you got an old guy like Noah who could forget everything and mess you up. So, Father, thank you that uh, your word is perfect and that it uh, can speak to our hearts and our lives no matter what uh, generation or age that we're in. I thank you that every time we turn to it, even though we may have seen it or studied it before, because it is alive, it can speak to our hearts and draw us closer to you. You can show us insights about you and insights about ourselves, and you can show us answers to questions we're wrestling with. And Lord, we're just coming to you this morning asking that you would give us something from you that we can grab a hold of and know that when we leave here, we have been with you, we have heard from you, and that somehow you're using a feeble human being to give us something that you want us to hear. Thank you, Father, that you have so incredibly loved us, and Jesus, that you left heaven to come down and rescue our sorry souls. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. A while back, I was introduced to a fellow named Matt Perman in some of his writings. Have any of you heard of Matt at all? Because I know some of the younger generation has, but I I hadn't. Okay, well, Matt is the career navigator at King's College back in New York City. In other words, his job is to, as the young guys and gals are coming towards the end of their career, to spend some time with them, helping them navigate where they should where the lord may be leading them to go after they get out of college and um, matt wrote this and i thought it was really powerful and i'm going to stop in the middle here because if you don't get the word idea what he's talking about here you don't understand the quote but he says too often personal effectiveness do you know what personal effectiveness is That's your skills, your ability, your drive, your ability to plan out something. He says this, too often personal effectiveness is used as a tool to build the life we want and God is left out of the picture. I remember being part of a a service club here in the community for about 20 years. And for about the first 15 years in front of the podium where the the big wampa was up there, you know, leading the the luncheon or whatever, there was this sign. And it absolutely drove me nuts from the day one when I saw it. And it said, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And I thought, what idiot wrote that? (laughs) And I used to go in there and go, if it's going to be, it is up to thee. I mean, there's only one sovereign king and it ain't me. But it does describe our Western concept of self-driven independence. And, and what what Matt has nailed right on the head is, is this idea that we are so used to, especially in this culture, making decisions without considering anyone else, let alone God. And so most of the time, those kinds of decisions end up in... Foolishness, or if we're not careful, they end up being against God's kingdom and what God desires. We don't intend to go that way, but oftentimes we will end up going that way. And hence, this morning, what we want to do is answer this question How do I go about making wise decisions? How do I really understand what God's will might be in whether or not I marry this person? Or whether or not I make this major move? Or whether or not I take this job? Or how many children should we have? Or what are we going to do with our discretionary vacation weeks this year? So often we just go off and make decisions. Well, we're going to go down and see my mother-in-law. Oh, you know, and, and, but somebody else is going, but it's my mother, you know? Yeah, I know it's your mother. I married only one of you, but I got two, you know, and, and, but we don't sit down. Took you a while. We, we sit down and we, and we have to say, you know, Lord, where, where are you in this whole big decision? Now I'm going to show you this morning, and if you've got your handouts, you can follow those uh, down. Um, I'm going to show you six ingredients that are really necessary, no matter how old you are, if you are facing to some decisions that you're going to be making. The first three are absolutely critical. If you can't remember any of them, hang on to the first three, and we are going to start with those in a second. But before we do, I have to tell you, I am presuming something this morning that I typically and most pastors should not presume when they're speaking to a wide audience and especially if there's people looking at this that is streaming. I'm presuming that everybody that's listening to me now already knows that Jesus Christ is their Savior and Lord. And I just need to say that if you're not sure who Jesus is... And you're investigating that. And, and you see these people talking about Jesus as if they, they were a next-door neighbor. And, and you would like to understand more. Please, see me after the service. See Sam. See Ryan. In fact, um, I, I'm just going to spontaneously... If, if you are someone here who knows Jesus, and you think you can answer some questions or show, show somebody else how they can know Jesus Christ personally as their Savior... Would you just raise your hand and hold it up there big, real big and high. Okay, wherever you are just take a moment. If you don't know who Christ is and you want to know about him go see one of those people or come see me and we can sit down and begin the conversation. Whether or not you trust Christ today, which I would love to see you do, or three weeks from now because you're still working for, through some information check him out. Because he made it really clear in John 14:6. He said I am the way the truth And the life. And in John uh, 10.10, he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He didn't say, I want you to come and exist. I want you to live for the purpose for which you were created. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. And until you get to know who he is, you probably don't have a lot of good chances of making numerous wise decisions. Jesus is truly the key, all right? Now, any questions in that, you can talk with someone later. First ingredient that's key to making wise decisions is make sure that you have your priorities straight. And I'm going to direct you at only one priority this morning. Um, Who can tell me what is probably the best well-known sermon Jesus ever preached? Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. At the end of chapter 6, where uh, in the previous part of chapter 6, Jesus has been talking about all those things that concern us and get us anxious and worried and we trying to figure out what's going to happen in the future. Jesus says this at the very end of chapter 6. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And all of these things, all of your basic needs, will be met. Now what I want you to notice, those highlighted words in red, seek first. In the original language of the New Testament, in Greek, that is what's known as not just a command, but it is a progressive imperative. What does that mean? Best in English, if you were going to translate this, it means, but keep on seeking. This is not something I seek Jesus Christ, trust him as my savior, and then I don't continue to seek him or the kingdom. He's saying your whole number one priority the rest of your life, in all the areas of your life, is to be asking yourself, Jesus, where do you fit? Where does your kingdom fit? Where does the gospel fit in the decisions that I am about to make with my time, with my money, with my talents? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then a few verses later in chapter 7, verses 7 7 and 8, he goes on to say this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, it will be opened to him. Again, those three key verbs are all commands and they are all progressive imperatives. In other words, Jesus is coming back and driving home the point. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Why? Because sometimes God doesn't show us until we're ready to make that turn left or right, which could be a year, two years, 20 years. But he said, I don't want you to think I don't hear. I want you to be ready to hear... When I tell you, it's time to turn to the right. Keep knocking, and I will open the door when it is the right time in the right place. You need to trust me. And then later in John's gospel, John reminds us that Jesus said this as he was talking to a group of students. Jesus answered them, and he said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And if anyone is willing to do his will... He will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself. Now, that verse has got a lot in it, and there's no way in one morning I'm going to be able to unpack that. The only reason I'm referencing it here, Jesus says that if you're seeking my face and you trust me, you will know what it is to do my will. I'm convinced God wants me to know what his will is for my life more than I want to know it. I mean, you ever ever wondered about, okay, Jesus, if I trust you to be my savior and I follow you, are you going to call me off to Nepal (laughs) to be a missionary living in the dirt and the squalor, you know? I'm not sure, Lord, (laughs) I want to know if that's your will for me or not. I mean, sometimes we're afraid and we totally forget. God is the one who put us together, who wired us. Nobody knows better what's going to be good for Bob Bonner than God. And I've had to learn that the hard way. I mean, even stepping away from full-time ministry was not vocational ministry. I'm still in the ministry full time, but I'm actually being paid. I'm not being paid to be good anymore. Now I'm just good for nothing. So, (laughs) but that was really hard. My passion, I have been wired to open up the scriptures and encourage people from the word of God and not to be able to do that every Sunday. I'm going, God, are you kidding? But then all of a sudden he's put me into a field in an area at a right time in my life that I'm doing things that, okay, really minister to my life, and I don't have to run as hard, I think. Um, (laughs) Sam just said, you know, you're the most unretired person ever running around. He and I were just talking last week, and I mentioned to him, I said, you know, if you need me to fill in for something, I'm willing to do that. And the Lord brought me this picture, and then Sam said it. He said, my plate's always, you know, got too much on it. I used to have a big plate. I was telling Joy this. I mean, I I used to have a big plate, and I would fill that to the edges, and stuff would fall off in my life. And I'd miss appointments or whatever, you know, and people would think I was going brain dead. I said, no, I was not going brain dead. I've always been brain dead. (laughs) But here's this plate. Well, I've discovered, and Martin, you understand this, Our plate shrunk, our bandwidth is not the same. I used to be able to eat off a plate like that and never get fat. Now I'm eating off a plate like this and I'm getting fat. How come? Because something has happened to my metabolism. The same thing happens to my brain. But I still think I got this big plate. Now I got a small plate that's stacked this high. And if I've learned anything in the last six or seven months, It's that I haven't been listening to the voice of God in my life about all the decisions I've been making. I get myself into positions and I'm going, how did I get into this? And this little voice says into my head, did you bother to ask me? No. I just thought it was a good idea. I mean, it was involved in ministry and it was helping people and I was supposed to serve them. How can this be wrong? because I didn't call you to minister in that situation. Oh, and that's why you're tired. Oh, and that's why you need to make your schedule smaller. How do I do that? That's my big challenge. But I've been trying to learn that all my life. This whole decision-making process is an ongoing process. And the longer we walk with Jesus Christ, the more we begin to mature in this area of making decisions. So I just want you to hear loud and clear. I'm not perfect at this, okay? I'm doing better. And I'm probably doing better than some of you because I've been working at it longer than you. But I have learned some of the basic decisions on how to figure things out. Now, if you're not willing to do But Jesus says he wants you to do no matter what. Don't bother asking him. Don't bother asking him. He's either Lord or he's not. You need to ask him. And furthermore, if you want to know what the Lord's will is in your life and whether this decision is right, you need to be checking your heart to find out, is there any area that I am intentionally involved in in sin and have chosen not even to try to quit? Am I being rebellious in a certain area? Am I regarding wickedness in my heart? Because if you are, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 46, 18, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So if I'm doing something wrong over here, and I'm at, and I'm asking God, Lord, is this a wise place for me to invest my money, your money? I mean, sorry, Lord. Is this the right place? Bob, until you start doing this thing over here, we're not talking about that over there. And when you get this one right, then I'll answer that. So I've had to constantly, what I'm asking the Lord, Lord, is there something I'm missing that I'm not doing right that we need to correct? Because I need your guidance over here. And I'll go back over here and correct this other thing. I want to do, no matter what, what you want me to do. So here is the key priority when we talk about keeping priorities straight. This is the most important question when you start off in this area. Are you willing to do anything God wants you to do, no matter what? What? if you can't answer yes to that, don't bother looking at the next five, because that's where it begins and ends. The second one may seem uh, obvious to you, um, but I think I've described already it isn't obvious, and, and that is make sure that we ask the Lord to show us what his will is before we move out in any direction. Um. I've described the plates and, and did somebody have a question? Can you repeat, that? Re- repeat the question. Make sure, you have. Make sure you have asked the Lord to show you his will. Thank you, Daniel. You got it? got it? Okay. By the way, any of you guys have questions? It is not weird for you to go, hey, wait a minute. Did you really mean that? I mean... I'm not here to hear my gums flap. I am here for you to, I am passionately here for you to understand what the scripture is saying. And if you don't understand it and you're too embarrassed to ask the question now, ask me later, all right? Uh, this is not just about for me to hear that. This is, this is genuinely for you. Um, this whole area of asking God these questions and bringing them. I, I rem, I'm reminded of a, a mentor who told me 30 years ago. I, I, he asked me, he said, Bob, what's maturity in the Christian life about? And I said, well, you got to get in the Word and you got to understand what the Word says and you got to have a grip. And he goes, getting into the Word and understanding theology, yes, it's important. But what really demonstrates spiritual maturity is your ability to practice the basics in every area of your life. Boy, was he right. And that really fits with this subject of decision-making. I know how over here to ask for God's direction, let's say, investments. I know how to do that. But over here, on what I'm going to do with some of my discretionary time, I haven't always asked the Lord, hey, can I go squeaker hunting this weekend? The opportunity is there and I want to go. But maybe it's not a good time for the family or something else. or maybe there's. So I need to say, Lord, am I free to go with this? If this is not something you want me to do, put the brakes on somehow for me. Because I don't want to be outside your will. I want to be smack dab in the middle of it. So I've got to learn this in different areas. And I'll be giving you an example of where I really blew it recently. But that's just another lack of you know life but okay James 1 but if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him without reproach I don't know what kind of home you grew up in or what kind of coaches you had or teachers you had but sometimes you would go up to one of these folks at least I used to and say hey coach do you want us to be doing this That's a dumb question, Bob. I want you to do that every day. And I said, well, we didn't do it yesterday. I just wondered." and I mean, that's reproach. Jesus is never going to say that to you. He's happy to tell you again and again and again the answer in case you forgot it. And he wants you to know his will. So don't be afraid to sit down and ask. And by the way, take a time out and be ready to listen. Because sometimes... Sometimes we ask, in five seconds we're out of the room. When what we should really be doing is sitting in one place for 90 minutes, depending on the importance of the question, and saying, Lord, I'm going to sit here until I have peace one way or another about what I'm going to do with this decision. Make sense? If you want to know, you should probably hang around and wait for his answer. Here's the third one comes out of the book of Romans. And before I show it to you, you've got to understand the context. Romans has got 16 chapters. First 11 chapters of Romans are specifically designed to be theological. They are very deep. They are the basis of why some people call the book of Romans the Magna Carta of the Christian faith. It explains the gospel. And it does not explain, and it's not intended to explain, how a person gets saved. When Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's a power of God into salvation to the Jews first and into the Greeks, he is not discounting it's the way you first get saved. But he's not using the term salvation there like Peter does over in 1 Peter where he's talking about actually dying and going into the presence of God. When Paul uses the word salvation throughout the book of of Romans, he's talking about the transformation of the Christian's life based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. And the mercies of God. And so he takes 11 chapters to describe his propitiating work, his reconciling work, uh, his redemptive work in your lives. And how when you get to know Jesus and who you are in Christ, he begins to transform you, your thinking, your attitudes, and you begin to mature. Okay? So that's the first 11 chapters. Now notice what he says at the beginning of chapter 12, the first, first two verses. He says, Therefore... I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. What mercies? The previous 11 chapters. That God, you know what it means to be merciful towards someone? It means to do something for someone else when they cannot do it themselves. Could you earn your salvation? Could you be perfect? Can you live without sin? Do you desperately need a savior? Amen. Amen. Okay, so out of this mercy, God's done all of us. He says, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, or technical word there, is logical spiritual, uh, spiritual worship. He's saying, if you really understand what God's done for you, then give your bodies. And that's a picture of not just your mind or your emotions, but of what's going on with you physically. He says, it's your whole self. It belongs to the one who purchased your life. Remember, Jesus paid for all of you, according to 1 Corinthians 6. He owns everything. He owns your dreams, your expectations, your plans, and it's why it's really a good idea to check in with the boss before you start making major decisions. Makes sense, okay? So he says, I want you to do that. And then he goes on, and he says, and don't be conformed, to this world, don't be looking like everybody else in the world, but you're, you're supposed to be unique. I don't mean weird. I mean unique, okay? Uh, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, how do I get my mind transformed? Good question. Glad you asked it. He tells us when he's writing to one of his disciples over in 2 Timothy, he says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. And when he says that all scripture is inspired, he's saying that the Bible is alive. It has been given life. Just like God breathed in to Adam and Eve and gave them life, he breathed into this book and it is alive. It is not like the Pearl of Great Price. It is not like the Koran. It is not like the Book of Mormon. Those were written by men. And if you've ever read those and you compare them to what's in here, you can't help but sense the incredible difference. You can find all kinds of of contradictions and crosstalk in those books. There are no contradictions in here. I don't care what some professor in college tells you. I've been in more debate situations with professors than you can shake a stick at. And I loved it this one time, because I went into this high school classroom that had sociology professor, and he'd made this great statement a couple weeks before that the church has no place in the community today. And one of the kids in the class was a Christian, and he went up to to ask the professor after and said, can I have one of my pastors come in and talk? I said, sure, bring him in. So he had prepped. I didn't know this. I found out real quick when I got there. He got all his special students to ask me what he thought would be really trip questions. You know, if there's a loving God, why is he sending me to hell? How do you know the Bible's the word of God? All those kind of really fun questions. So um, I, I made the comment that I thought it was the word of God. And one of the guys raises his hands and says, but what about all the contradictions in the Bible? And I said, name one. <laughs> Just like now, silence. So finally, the professor says, I know one. And I went, oh, this is going to be interesting. He turns to the book of Leviticus. He says, you got your bombs Yeah, turn to Leviticus. And he opens up to Leviticus. And I don't remember the exact measurements, but he puts to, points to a verse that describes the laver that was supposed to be built for the tabernacle. And a laver is like big wash basin made out of brass. And after they get their hands all bloody from doing a sacrifice, they're supposed to wash their hands off, okay? So he says in for lack of exact knowledge. He said, this thing is 36 inches wide. 36 inches in diameter. And he says, now look over here. Over here it says it's 30 inches in diameter. I said, yeah, what's the problem? He says, that's a contradiction. I said, you didn't read the chapters. If you read the chapters, the first one tells you the outer size of the measurement is 36 inches. The inner side is 30 inches. The thing is three inches thick around. He so that's not a contradiction. That's bad reading on your part. So then uh, he said, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, what do you mean? He said, would you come back and teach the class again? And I said, yeah, I went there for three days. Three days. Had an hour for each class. Just answering questions. And after we left that, one of the folks, I told the folks, I can't keep coming back. Anybody got a house we can meet at some night this week? I do. Quarterback of the football team. I do big house, we go over for eight weeks, 40 kids in that house answering questions about the gospel. This is alive. Study it, memorize it, live in it, and you'll begin to start seeing your mind get transformed and changed. So the point, make sure you consider what directions you are already given in the scriptures when you have to make a decision. Now if you haven't been in the scriptures. For quite a long time. You may need some help. And let me get to that in just a second. I have to add an addendum here. Um, I used to think. That every question I would ever ask. And one answered. Because I was told this. Is in the Bible. Well that's not correct. See, and I can give you a bunch of illustrations where if I wanted the answer to a chemistry exam, I can't find a chapter and verse that's going to have an answer in it. Or if, if somebody is sitting on the on the freeway saying, have you ever been to Portland? It's got six lanes going in one direction, heading to Portland. Okay, God, what's your will? Should I be in lane number one, which is the fastest lane, or should I be in name number six, which is supposed to be 55 for the trucks? The Lord says, well... If you're not going to go as fast as everybody else is in the fast lane, and you want to go faster than the ones that are in the trucks, you've got four options. Pick one, it's up to you. <laughs> as long as you're following the guidelines of the law. Okay, it's great that you asked him, but there's sometimes he's going to come back and say, it's totally up to you. There are no answers. Now, if you get in lane number one and go, ha, woo, and you start driving 100 miles an hour, you might find that there's another law at work that's called the speed law. And the Lord has said somewhere else, by the way, I want you to obey the laws of your government. You're not supposed to go 100 miles an hour in the first lane. So uh, the point is, there are some questions that are not answered in Scripture. So what do you do when you don't really know Scripture? And what happens when you, uh, Scripture doesn't have some answers? And that's what we're going to look at with these last two points. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you that in the book of Hebrews, we find help here. It says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. I think there's a real good clue in here that if you're a brand new believer and you don't understand as much of the scripture as you'd like to, and you're trying to figure out what should my major be in college or what college should I go to, and, and you, you can't find a real answer, go sit down with a salty dog who has been walking the walk for years. Somebody who really understands the word of God. And it's best, it's really best, if those older people you're going to who understand the word of God, if they know you, Because the degree to which they know you, they can know your peculiarities, your assets, your liabilities. And they can say, I would, knowing you, you like to do this and this, I would not take door one or number two. I would consider door number three. All right? So find somebody who is older, who's been in the word, and who knows you and um, can, can give you some guidance. Proverbs says, a wise man will hear an increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Now, if you're looking for wise counsel... Um, if you, go, if you want to go talk to two, three different people, like I'm, in building construction, I was always taught, get three bids before you decide you're going to build something. Well, get two or three people to talk to you. But be careful. Don't keep asking people what you should do when you already know what you want to do, and you're trying to get somebody to come along and give your stamp of approval to what you want to do. Because if you ask enough people, you're going to find people who really don't fully understand the word of God, and they're going to give you an answer that's going to lead you in the wrong direction. Okay? So you need to be praying. Lord, would you help me find two or three people who know me and understand you and help me gain some wisdom in this area that I need help to, better, to make the best decision possible? And that's what the fourth point is. Make sure you consider the wise counsel of those who are mature role models and those who are in authority over you and who know you well. Okay? That's a long one. I'll let you write it down. This next ingredient necessary in discerning God's will to your life is really linked to this last one. And, it, and it's really a very practical one. We need to know what our abilities and our limitations are. And often, those who know us well can also see those strengths and those weaknesses in our lives. So if I were you and you're trying to make a decision in an area, I'd get a piece of paper and I would start to write down the abilities or the pros and the limitation or the cons. And, and then after you've made that list, go to those people that know you and go down over these things and say, what do you think? And he said, well, you may think this is an asset in your life, um, but that's not your strength. And let me show you why. I've watched you in the trenches, and this is what's happened. And now, now you're doing it, but it really isn't your, your biggest achievement. Or this thing over here that you thought was a limitation. Yeah, I know that's a struggle for you to do it. But God has gifted you beyond your human abilities to do things you could never think about here. You need to reconsider this particular area, okay? Okay. So I'm gonna give you four different questions that you can ask yourself or you can consider to help you better define abilities and liabilities uh, in your life. The first question you wanna ask yourself is, what talents or abilities or spiritual gifts do you have? Now understand there's a big difference between a natural talent or an ability and a spiritual gift. Your natural talents or your natural abilities are things like what you can do manually with your hands or what you can do with your voice. Or maybe intellectually, you're somebody that just loves numbers. Or you're an intellectual and you like to do engineering. You just love to, I mean, it's, it's a talent and you're good at it. And if something breaks, you can fix it. I grew up next door to this guy who was a mechanical genius, and he eventually went into mechanical engineering. And, and, and we used to, I had this mini bike that, that, that I had, and, and uh, we'd break parts, and I'd have to ride a bicycle half an hour to go find some parts for this thing. And he says, we don't have to go buy one, I can make one in the backyard. And I went, what do you, know? I had to have a shim one time. Y'all know what a shim is, it's a long piece of metal, and it's square on four sides, to make this flywheel hook up to uh, the drive chain. And I said, where are you going to make that? And he says, come on back into my garage. And he goes back and he pulls out his dad's tool chest. And he's got a 16-penny nail. Big, fat nail. And he says, all we're going to do is cut this off the same length. And we're going to get this grinder over here. We're going to grind the sides for it. And we'll slide it in. And it'll work just as good. You don't have to go down and buy one. I went, no way. He did it. I mean, I'd have never thought of that. We never had to go take an hour trip on a bike ride to buy a 10-cent piece of metal. He just made it. and, And he was geared that way, not me. And don't ask me to save your technology. Don't, don't even get me near it, okay? My grandson, yeah, but not, not me. So those are kind of natural abilities. Some people are natural teachers. I've got a close friend that loves Jesus Christ, loves God's word, and he loves math. And he loves teaching kids he did it all the time through grade school and middle school with kids and so when we and when he retired he made it known to families and parents that if your kids are struggling you know with math all the way up into physics he said send them to me I would love to spend time with them and he would, he would just get a joy. He'd tell them, you know, numbers are like a game. And you're going to be playing a game. And your object is to win the game. But here are some of the rules you've got to follow to win the game. And, and they would, some of these people would be competitive jocks. But they didn't know math. And, but then they figured out how the game was. And pretty soon, they were passing geometry. Because he loved to teach. But if you take the same guy. I would have him in, a, in an adult Bible class. And he was a joy to have because he would pop up with all this information he had discovered from reading the scriptures and questions would start flying around the room. And it was an exciting time. I loved to have him in there. But there was one time somebody asked him to come teach a class. And so he got up there and he taught this class. And boy, in three minutes, everybody's asleep. Well, he's a great teacher, but he's not anointed to teach the word of God. That is a supernatural gift. And you don't necessarily really know what your gifts are until you get out there, people start watching it, and there's a few other things that I'll give you some, some points on here. But um, these three things, talents, abilities, spiritual gifts... You need to learn about what you have. And if you're a believer, before you came, became a believer, you didn't have any spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit wasn't living inside you. But when you trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, his Spirit invaded your life. And according to 1 Corinthians 12... You had spiritual gift package. Your gift package is different than my gift package. Yours is designed for you in your unique environment and arena of influence, and you're not to copy my life. You're to go figure out what your gifts are, wrap your lives around them, and go use them, whether they're full-time in ministry or you're full-time in business or you're full-time an evangelist in a neighborhood with the kids in your family. Okay, you need to understand what your spiritual gift package is. And if you want to talk to Ryan and Sam, I, or me later, there are, there are exams on the internet. Now, you got to be careful because some there's really squirrely exams in this area. But they go over some brief definitions of what several of the spiritual gifts are. And they give you like an 80-question 80, 80 deal that you can fill out and answer. And they'll come back and say, based on your answers... This is why you need to have people who know you (laughs) validate whether your answers were correct or not. You may have the gift of service, or you may have the gift of faith, or you may have the gift of giving, or you may have the gift of mercy, you know, whatever it is. But you need to learn what your spiritual gift is. Best advice I had as a young man and that a guy was spending time with me when I was in college, he said, whenever you discover what your spiritual gift is, wrap your life Around it, I'll come back to that in a minute. Next question: What gives you satisfaction? What energizes you? That helps you understand some of your assets. If if you have to um, uh, hang out with middle school kids and uh, you go home and you want to slit your throat, I'm, you're probably not geared to hang out with middle school kids, all right? But, but there are others, others just absolutely love that, you know? Now, <laughs> a while back I was in a church and there were two teachers, true story, two teachers. And one was a teacher of elementary and one was a, was a middle school teacher. And both of them were as shy as you could imagine. One of them, I nicknamed Wallflower, because every time there was a meeting or something, he was in the corner up against the wall. Everybody's out there gro- moving and grooving in the center. and He's back there as quiet as a church mouse, okay? He's a middle school teacher. And um, one day, the three of us were sitting around talking, and uh, I said, hey, would you mind opening in, in prayer when we go into this meeting? Because I, 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 don't, I don't really like speaking up in public. And I went, what? I said, you're a middle school teacher. Yeah, I know. And so I let it go. And so I asked this other guy at another time, I said, would you mind leading communion in the church? Oh, I just don't really feel comfortable doing that. I went, wait a minute, you're a middle school teacher. A couple years later, we're together, the three of us, and I said, how long have you guys been teachers? Oh, we're 15 years. I said, oh. Why'd you become a teacher? And he said, well, I I thought I liked kids and thought it was really good money. The purrs are pretty good. And, And I said, well, how long have you known that it was really difficult and you didn't like it? Oh, after two years. I said, you've been doing this for 13 years and you don't like it? Yeah, why? He says, well, I gotta finish and get to 20 so I can get the purrs. And I said, you're living in hell because you want purrs? What is right with that? I mean, come on. So find something that brings satisfaction or energizes you. Now, that doesn't mean if you're in a job someplace, because it was the only thing you could get a hold of to get by, and you don't necessarily like it. I mean, I don't think Joseph liked his few years in prison. You know, that was not a good thing. But sometimes God has us temporarily in places doing things, because he wants us to get something specific done or he's trying to do a work inside of us. Okay, and so those are kinda, you know, somebody once said we all love to live on the mountaintops but it's down in the valley that the fruit grows and sometimes it's a dark valley and so those times are are, are a challenge. All right, third thing, third thing. At what have you proven yourself to be successful or impactful? if, if, uh, if you have a sense that God is leading you into full-time ministry, and he wants you to do it on foreign soil, and you think he wants you to be involved in evangelism, the first test you got to have is how effective are you in your own country where you know the language and you know the culture? And if you think you're an evangelist and that's what God's gifted you to do, I'll simply ask you, how many people have you sat down with and led to Christ in the last month? Six months? Year? How many people can come alongside you and say, you're not just a guy with a big mouth and a gift to gab. You are effective in leading people to Jesus Christ. You know, you can, make sure you can do it here before you try to transport yourself over to a culture you don't know and the language you don't speak because most evangelists don't just have to lead people to Jesus Christ. Billy Graham proved this. There needs to be a follow-up of discipleship and you need to be able to relate to these people and you need to understand their needs and show them the basics of how to become independently dependent on Jesus Christ and involved in a body of believers. So find out where you're successful. When, um, I, when I got saved, I was 18 or 19, it was in between high school and college, and it was in a summer when I got saved, I thought to myself, if I had only known this when I was in junior high school, I would not be carrying to this day the scars and wounds in my own emotional soul. I know I've been forgiven, but what's there is there. And so when I got saved, uh, I didn't—I didn't know squat. I didn't know anything. And about uh, three weeks after I got to this one college, this guy comes down the hallway and he sees me trying to read my Bible. And he says, hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm reading a Bible. He said, really, you a Christian? And I thought, yeah, I guess I am. I, yeah, I am. Yeah, I am. And he said, how would you like to come help me? And I said, well, what are you doing? He said, well, I just started a ministry with, uh, in a small Baptist church with these kids. And I'm trying to build in their lives. You want to come? And I said, Sure. What did I know? I'd never been to a Baptist church. I never worked with kids, but I was with a bunch of high school students when I got saved, so I'm in. So we show up and I just start meeting and talking and sharing with him a little bit about my life and just hanging out with him. And he saw that I had a natural affinity for these kids. And he said, how would you like to teach Sunday school class? What's a Sunday school class? I'd never been to a Sunday school class. I didn't know how to teach it. And I told him that. And he said, not a problem. Hands me this 13-week curriculum. They used to do this quarter teaching. And he hands me a a workbook and a a regular book. You know, like a paperback. You got to understand, I made it through a college preparatory school and into college. And up until that point in time, I never read any books. I read two uh, catcher in the rye and tom sawyer that was it that i cliff noted everything else and we had tests and everything we were supposed to read and i cheated i hated reading this guy comes over and says here read this book and go teach a class that's exactly what i said really so i pick up this book it's written by a guy named fritz riddenauer and it says in the title i didn't know what it was about it says how to be a christian without being religious Immediately, I'm in, because I hated religion. <laughs> That's kind of funny, isn't it? I mean, I, I knew who Jesus was, but this church stuff, I, I wasn't really sure about. So I grabbed this book, and it's a book that is a commentary on the book of Romans for high school students. In other words, they dumb down the heavy stuff, and they give them the basics. And so, which was perfect for me, because I didn't know diddly. So I'm reading this thing, and I'm trying to get a couple weeks ahead of the class. And these kids would come in and they'd ask me questions. And I knew the answer. They thought I was the smartest guy in the world. I was just two weeks ahead of them. And, and I was wrestling with things in my own life. And this guy who was discipling me, I'm asking all these hard questions. Not expecting the kids to answer them. They had nothing to do with the lesson. And he's answering them, going to the scriptures, showing me the answers. I'm writing ink all over the place, memorizing that page. And the kid answer. go to page three. You know, and, and there we are. So I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't know, and, and after I was finished, I mean, it was, it was, it was labor. I, I'd finished boy, I, I don't know how that went, you know. And, and, but I, I finished out the tour of 13 weeks. And I thought, you know, well, that was good. Maybe we'll move on to something else. Until a parent came to me. Yeah, and he said, hey, I want to talk to you about your Sunday school class. And I said, okay. He said, my kid hated church. Until he went to your Sunday school class. And then after that, he said, Mom, you need to get up early and take me to Sunday school class. I don't want to miss class. And she said, A month ago, he was not the kid he is today because of your Sunday school class. So I told this guy that was mentoring me, I said, Hey, this was kind of weird, came out of nowhere. And he said, Bob, I've known this for weeks. I've watched you with your college buddies. God has spiritually gifted you with not just talking about spiritual things, but opening up the word and encouraging them and enabling them to fall in love with Jesus and put things practically into their life. Wrap your life around that gift. Okay? So that's kind of, you know, um, I could give you a bunch more examples. Let me let me tell you this one over here. Um, sorry. Could unpack this verse. It's a big verse, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, you're really going to understand the verse. You've got to understand all of chapter 1 and everything that's coming up to the first nine verses in chapter 2. Basically, he's saying... Before you were ever a twinkle in your mother and father's eyes, God knew who you were. He created you, He wired you, He put you together, and He prepared you as someone who would follow Him to accomplish a work. You are a unique person in action. So, therefore, if He's gifted you in several different things, be careful. Don't just fall into a mold because everybody else who has something that you do or a talent, that's where they all end up. So in other words, the next question is, how could God otherwise use your abilities or monies or skills or whatever? Um, We don't have time for six different illustrations, but I'm going to give you just one of a guy who, when he grew up, his Father put a cello in between his legs and had him start to play when he's about five years old. He fell in love with playing the cello. Um, his parents were not believers. And he eventually became a concert celloist, sat first chair in in, in San Francisco um, uh, Symphony. And he was doing real well at it. And uh, went to a church, got saved, and loved the Lord and started thinking about worship music with a cello. And, and then he started thinking, Lord... Do you want me to be in symphony the rest of my life? Fast forward, he has a worldwide ministry reaching out to orphans, teaching them how to use musical instruments, leading them to Christ, discipling them, and sending them back into their communities to share Jesus Christ. He gave up what he was planning to do for the rest of the life. You know, being in his symphony. But in following the Lord, he ended up playing in Carnegie Hall. He ended up playing before the Pope. He ended up playing in a private audience before the King of Jordan. And he's played in the UN. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So just don't follow a trek. And I could use other illustrations of kids who've grown up in the church and understood the scriptures and loved reading the Bible. And somebody said, you know, you ought to become a minister. Met several of them in, in graduate school. And they couldn't get through the homiletic, that's preaching courses. And I remember sitting in a lunchroom with one guy who was in tears. And I said, who, who said you should be doing this? And um, he eventually had to drop out and rewire himself and go figure out what the Lord wanted him to do. You, you need to say, Lord, is there something else that's out there or is this really what you want me to do? Finally, um, make sure you consider all of the pertinent circumstances surrounding your decision. Romans 8.28 is often used as what I call a band-aid verse. You know, one band-aid fits everything, but a lot of people use that out of context. For sure this is talking about that God works, all, causes all things to work together. All things. There's a lot of circumstances that are going on in your life that you can um, feel really discouraged about or disappointed. In November I was in India. I had been planning for months, praying about it, asking the Lord, do you really want me to go there? If you don't want me to go there, shut it down and all that. And I was supposed to be over there for two weeks to look at two projects for this organization that I'm working for. I'm there for the first week, I nail the project, it's all done, I'm about ready to go off to the next one, and I come down with this thing called the Indian flu, which is not COVID, but it's killing just as many people in India as COVID did. And I got these two doctors that said, you're quarantined to the hotel, and they leave one of the team members back with me, and they're gone. I am by myself in this room, 102 temperature, trying to eat Indian food, (coughs) And sorry if you like Indian food, but it just—I I, I had enough curry, and then I couldn't eat half the stuff that was there because it was not fitful for my stomach, and uh, and I missed the whole second project, what was in Nepal, and I was so physically and emotionally worn out. I—I'm I not embarrassed to tell you, I sat there and started crying. I said, "God, what's going on? I wanted to go to Nepal, and I know I got this. What a weak person I am!" And da da da. Finally, the Lord said, If I wanted you to go to Nepal, you would have gone to Nepal. I know you made plans. I got you here to India to get done what you needed to get done in India. Now go home, and if I want you to go to Nepal, I'll make an opportunity for you to go back to Nepal. Yeah, but what about all the waste of the money? Whose money is it? Okay. And so when I began to understand the principle of how would you know if God said no? Are you really listening for a no? Um, I had to listen, and I was grateful for his sovereignty. Okay. I'm going to stop there. Uh, we're on overload. Um, I'm going over. Where's Ryan? Are you going to come up with a song? And as he does, um, if you got more questions, I was hoping I'd be done earlier, and if you had questions, we could have a little Q&A, but don't hesitate to come up. Hey, brother, you want to pray with me? You went. I know, but I, I'm going to you, pray for you. Yeah, I knew this kid. <laughs> How long have we known each other?
1: Too long. Not too.
0: Okay. That's okay. <laughs> Not long enough. <laughs> Father, thanks that um, we can come together as a church family and share our gifts together and share our love for you, and point people to Jesus. That He is truly life abundant. Uh, I thank you for talents of music that you've placed in Ryan and and Ben and others in this ministry that can draw those of us that are not so musically inclined into worship with you. Father, we just give you our hearts and our lives and ask, Lord, that you would help us to hear your voice, that we would begin to seek your face more when it comes to making decisions in our lives. Thanks, Lord Jesus. Amen.